Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. period of time when we haven't been here, I've been thinking about um, preaching a series of sermons on why do Christians dot dot dot. So why do Christians believe in Jesus? Why do Christians pray? And I've started on those two. Today we're going to look at why do Christians worship? And um, I must confess I've started this one because it's for me it's one of the harder ones I reckon. In one of his books, Charles Swindle tells this story. When I was overseas, I was working with a man who was under great stress and great pressure. He was a maverick sort of a missionary. He didn't fit the, uh, the pattern of the world of what you think a missionary should be. Um, his ministry was in great part to soldiers who happened to be on the island of Okinawa by the thousands, in fact. In fact, it might be safe to say ten thousands. I went to his home one evening to visit with him and his wife said he wasn't there but was probably down at the office. The office was downtown in a small alley area off the streets of Naha. It was a rainy night and I decided I would get on the bus and travel down there to be with Bob. She'd mentioned that he was under a lot of pressure and stress and so I expected to find the man folded up in despondency, discouragement and depression just ready to finish it off. I got off the bus, walked down the alley about a block and a half and then I turned right down another little smaller alley to a little hut with a tatami mat inside. And as I got away from the street noise, I could hear singing. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And then in the next stanza, prone to wander, Lord, I know it, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Quietly, I eavesdropped on his private praise service and as I stood in the rain and looked through the walls of that little cheap hut, I saw the man on his knees with his hands raised towards heaven, giving praise to God. With his Bible on one side and an intervarsity Christian hymnal on the other, his little spiral notebook worn from use. And I saw him turn from page to page where he would read from it to God and then we'd find him and he would sing it to God. And the remarkable thing was that that pressure that he was under did not leave for perhaps another two weeks. But that praise service alone before God absolutely revolutionised his life. <clears throat> you know, praise and worshipping God is essential if we are looking for breakthrough. But unfortunately, uh, many times in, uh, when we're in crisis, our prayer focus is on the problem and not on God. We focus on how big our problem is instead of focusing on how big our God is. In Christianity, the worship, act, worship is an act of attributing reverent honour and homage to God. In the New Testament, various words are used to describe the term worship. 
One is the word proskunio, which means to worship. But the underlying meaning is to bow down to God or to kings. In the English language, worship comes from the old English word worth-ship, that is to esteem someone highly. As you interact with other people at work or at social events, sometimes you can't help but notice that other people all worship something. Um, it's the thing that's uppermost in their minds. They mightn't be aware of it, but it's obvious that they're continuously focused maybe on their, uh, their sport or their family or their home or their car or their money or the position they have. They may not realise it, but that's the thing they're worshipping in because that's the thing that's uppermost in their mind. We've probably all seen sometime or other like a, a video of a rock concert where the fans are hanging on every word, you know, the entertainer, the singer is saying. Some of the attendees are laughing, some of them are dancing or crying, some might be even fainting from the excitement. These people are worshipping the person up front or the band up front. They may be worshipping the leader, but the leader is not going to respond to the meeting their needs, the needs of their lives. So what does worship mean for us? Well, it's our recognition of God, our reverence for God, our communion with God, and it's our response to an encounter with God. The Bible's got a lot to say about worship. So let's start. Let's look at some scriptures. First of all, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it says, Without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who's, who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, obviously, before we can worship God, we have to come to the realisation that he exists and that he is who he says he is. And he is a rewarder, interestingly, is a rewarder of those who acknowledge him, as it says there. Once we know in our hearts that he exists, our worship starts with our our worship can start with our recognition of who God is. Let's look at Psalm ninety-five, verses six and seven. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture the flock under his care. Worship is our recognition of who God is. It's our understanding that he is who he says he is. It's our recognition of his power and his majesty. Reading from Psalm 99, verses five, uh, verse 5 and then 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for our Lord, for the Lord our God is holy. Worshipping includes recognising in our heart that God is holy. In fact, every part of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, is holy. I had this thought the other day when I was thinking about this. You know, we talk about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is holy. 
right? right? He's not the unholy spirit or the almost holy spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. So as you worship, recognise in your heart that God is holy. Psalm 96 verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And Psalm 5 verse 7 says, But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down toward your holy temple. Intimacy comes from a relationship, sharing our innermost thoughts and desires. Worship is not just saying the words or singing the songs. Our worship needs to be heartfelt response to the love and the mercy God has shown us. It's sharing with him our innermost thoughts and desires and perhaps issues that we don't want to share with anyone else. We encounter God during worship and then our worship becomes our response to that encounter. I'll say that again. We encounter God during worship and then our worship becomes our response to that encounter. When our hearts are full of love and passion for him, that's for God, from this worship our book of destiny is opened and, you know, and God begins to give us prophetic insights and, uh, and words for our life and understanding. And often in churches when we're worshipping, that happens as well. It's like the, the, you know, the, the book of destiny for the church and the people is open and words, prophetic words come forward for the church and for people. We just have to be aware that sometimes you know, when we're worshipping that God is trying to download um, stuff to us so that we know what it is he wants us to, to do and understand. And I guess uh, sometimes when that's happening we think, oh, I'm getting distracted and we try and block it out, which is unfortunate. Uh, I once heard Pastor Gary Cassie explaining it this way. And um, Gary is both a pastor of a, a large church but he's also, also the owner of a finance company. And he said that... Um, during worship in the church, he often got had ideas for his uh, for his business and the church, and also the church. And he was troubled by this because uh, he was thought he was letting himself get distracted from worshiping God. And when one day when this happened, he began asking God's forgiveness for being distracted. And as he did so, God cut across what he was saying, praying, and said, "Will you keep quiet? I'm trying to give you some new ideas." And um, and so Gary said that after, since that time he always makes sure he's got a pencil and a paper, bit of paper in his pocket and if God does give him an idea he just quickly writes it down and then he gets back to the worship. And um, as I began to think about that I realised that that's been my experience and it's probably been your experience as well that um, on occasions during worship God gives us insights as to how we should be living our life, how we should be approaching the issues of our lives. And sometimes, I must confess, I brushed them aside um, thinking that I was letting myself get distracted. As we worship, we have to be prepared to encounter God. In Revelation 1, verses 12 to 17, we read that John is worshipping in the Spirit when the Lord speaks to him. I says, I turned around 
to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. John's response to this encounter with God's glory was to fall at his feet as if dead. Perhaps these days we might call it being slain in the spirit. But in any case, John was unable to stand. In John 18, we read of some men who were unable to stand in Jesus' presence. This event happens after Jesus, Jesus and his disciples have shared the Last Supper. I'm just going to read from John 18, verses 1 to 6. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Jesus, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met with them there, met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing what was about to happen, what's going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. It would seem that they were unable to stand in the glory of Jesus' presence. Sometimes our response to the glory of God can leave us so weak that we can no longer stand up. And uh, I remember, and those of you who have been in the church for a while, that like 20 years ago we had times of worship in our church when the presence of God was so powerful that sometimes people couldn't stand up and sometimes they had to be helped back to their cars so they could go home. Excuse me a moment. And um, I remember on one occasion a lady was, used to come and she was um, always affected by when the Spirit of God came and... Um, her husband was a policeman. He wasn't all that keen about her coming and sort of coming home, sort of drunk in the spirit sometimes. And there was some discussion about how we were going to get her home after the church service. But she insisted she was going to drive and she got home, fortunately. But when God's presence is there, sometimes it's really hard to stand up in it. And uh, I personally remember one occasion, one Sunday morning, preaching here. And at the end of the sermon, there was this presence of God was so strong that I was hanging on to this old thing, right? Because I thought, if I let go of this, I'm going to fall over. This wouldn't have been much good, would it? So, 
when God's presence is there, it's, it's going to affect you. It's, you won't be able to stand in his presence sometimes. When God's presence is here, your life begins to change. In Revelations chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, we read that the 24 elders fall down. It's not really clear whether they fall down out of respect for God or whether they just couldn't stand in his presence. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and for your will they were created Sorry, and by your will they were created and, and have their being. <clears throat> Worship is more than just the songs we sing or the music we play. It's our heart response to who God is and that's really the crux of the matter. Right, I'll say it again. Worship is more than the songs we sing or the music we play. It's our heart response to God who God is, and that's, as I said, is really the crux of the matter. You know, we're all wired differently, and our, so our, our responses are going to be different during worship. Uh, in our church here, uh, during our worship time, we use our songs, as we're singing our songs and worshipping, we use that to draw near to God and feel his presence in our lives. In some other churches... The worship involves following a set liturgy and the people there take hold of the words that are being read and that they're saying and use them to draw near to God. In the end, it's not about how we worship or where we worship, but rather it's all about our heart response to God. As I said a moment ago, we're all wired differently and during worship, our experience will be different. Now, I've never ever thought that I was a great worshipper of God. Keep coming, gay. But um, I've always thought that my wife is a worshipper of God. Because during the worship time, when we're singing the songs, she's got her hands up and she's off of the angels, right? And I might be distracted by what, anything else that's going on. But gay is always um, off worshipping with God. So I've asked her just to say briefly what her experience is when she's worshipping. I just noticed the briefly... And it will be. It's okay. Just uh, maybe a couple of things because it's a huge subject. We have an audience of one. And he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's mighty to do the miracles. And just wonder sometimes about the expectations of our hearts. We can come through those doors at times bent out of shape. You know, and we can come locked in a box with chains on, but nothing is too difficult for God. And there's a, a beautiful song that's out at the moment. It co it's a wake my soul and sing. You know, wake up as our mind, will and emotions. Um, and sing aloud his praise. There's a sound that changes things. A sound of his people on his knees. Oh, wake up, you slumbering, it's time to worship him. And when he moves and when we pray, where stood a wall now stands away. It's amazing. It's the God of impossible 
and he moves in corporate worship, it's incredible. We've seen some incredible miracles and continue to see them now even in this place. So we have an audience of one and he's the King of Kings and the God of the impossible. Amen. Thank you. In John chapter 4, we read of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well in Sychar. As the conversation develops, she brings forth one of the popular theological questions of that day. Namely, where's the correct place to worship? In verse 20, she says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she saw worship as being tied to to a particular place, to a geographical location. And Jesus' reply shows that it's not so. In reading verses 23 and 24, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And the worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So, how do we worship? We must worship in spirit and in truth. Wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. Jesus makes this clear in Matthew 18, sorry, Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, and he's quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 13. It says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain and their teachings are merely human rules. In our worship, our heart must engage with the Spirit of God, not pretending, not acting the part. God is seeking true worshippers. When we worship in spirit and in truth, our worship transforms us now we read in the old testament that moses spent 40 days on the mountain in god's presence and when he came down his face shone he was changed after being in the presence of god but he didn't seem to know it and we change after we've been in the presence of god sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not but we've probably noticed other people change as they've come into the presence of God. For many years now, I've been going to preach uh, as a guest preacher at a small church in Adelaide Hills. And in the early days when I was going there, a family started, a small family started coming to that church. The husband had been a bikey and he'd given his heart to Jesus. And he used to sit in in the back row on my right-hand side and he would just sit there during the service and his face was just expressionless, right? There was no expression, except sometimes he did look like he was glaring at me. There was a hardness in his demeanour, a kind of don't mess with me type of attitude. But on subsequent visits, I could see that he was changing. And as he came in the presence of God and the other Christians there, he began to change on the inside and that led to a change on the outside. He began to smile and relax and to fit in with the other people of the church because I think they all felt uncomfortable in his presence as well. When we come into God's presence, 
we are changed. When we behold God's glory, we become more like him. Let's see what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The transformation takes place in our lives, that takes place in our lives, may also include giving us an awareness of sin, a new awareness of sin. Often we're aware of, of big sins in our lives, but sometimes we become aware of little sins, if I can put it that way, in our lives. Right? James 4.8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Because in the presence of God, there is conviction of sin. And as I said, sometimes we become aware of, sort of the little sins that we haven't worried about. And we didn't worry about it maybe because, well, everybody else is doing it, so what does it matter? Years ago, we were in a, um, a small church in a country town in Queensland. And one of the members of the congregation was the headmaster of the local area school. And um, at some point, he became aware of these little sins and was talking about it um, that other people generally ignored. And uh, he said it was common practice for headmasters to never buy toilet paper. <laughs> Whenever they needed some, they simply took some from the school. And that day he realised that he was stealing every time he took toilet paper from the, home from the school. So he decided not to do it again. Might seem trivial, but you see, he saw that as important. In the presence of God, there is joy. In the presence of God, there is hope. In worship, we experience the presence and the power of God. God's presence in our lives empower us, empowers us to live our lives as God's children. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter writes that we are a chosen people and a royal priesthood. Right? In Peter's time, it was the priests who engaged in worship. And so as a royal priesthood, uh, we are empowered to worship. Now, there may be days when you don't feel like worshipping. Right? We might see worship as times as being sort of happy, clappy, but our times of worship aren't always like that. Worship is the celebration of who God is, and that includes, as I said before, Recognition, reverence, communion and our response to our encounter with him. His praise will be on our lips. But in practical terms, there may be days when this is a struggle. So just be honest and tell God about it. I've probably told you briefly before, in 1986 I was in a serious car accident and ended up in the intensive care unit at the Royal Adelaide Hospital. I had lots of broken bones and I was in a lot of pain. And in my clearer moments, you know, when the drugs were wearing off, I prayed, Lord, I know that I need to praise you in every situation, 
But at the moment I can only say the words because my pain level is preventing me from focusing on anything else. And that's truly what was happening. But I was honest with God and said, that's the deal. I know that I'm looking towards you, but I can only focus on this at the moment. That was the best confession that I could manage at the time. But I was being honest with God, and I'm certain he was hearing. In Acts 16, we read of Paul and Silas in prison. (laughs) I guess this might, compared to me, this might be the gold standard. They'd been severely beaten, they were probably bleeding, and their feet were in stocks. And nevertheless, they were still praising God. And it says in Acts 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So although they'd been beaten, they were in stocks, life was tough, they were still sitting there praising God. How we worship God and draw near to him often dictates our response to the issues that we face in life. Horatio G. Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family, a wife, Anna, and five children. However, they weren't strangers to times of tears and tragedy. The young son died with pneumonia in 1871, and in that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Yet God in his mercy and kindness allowed their business to flourish once more. On November the 21st, 1873, the family intended to sail to Europe for a holiday. But before they left, Mr Spafford found it necessary to stay in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. He told his wife and children to go on ahead and he would join her and the children in Europe a few days later. His plan was to take another ship. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, their ship collided with a powerful iron-hulled Scottish ship, the Loch Erne, and within approximately 12 minutes, their ship had slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of the passengers, including the four Spafford children. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down, spotted a woman floating on a piece of wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. He pulled her into the boat and they were picked up by another larger vessel, which nine days later landed them in Cardiff in Wales. And from there she wrote her husband a message which began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Mr Spafford later framed the telegram and placed it in his office. Mr Spafford booked the next passage, a passage on the next available ship to join his grieving wife. With the ship about four days out, the captain called Spafford to his cabin and told him that they were over the place where his children went down. Mr Spafford went back to his cabin and penned the words to the hymn, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And the chorus is, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well 
with my soul. How we worship God and draw near to him often dictates our response to the issues that we face in life. Mr Spafford was a worshipper of God and that dictated his response to calamity. When others might have been blaming God for the trouble like this, Mr Spafford was able to say, it is well with my soul. And you know, there was these floods in Germany a couple of weeks ago and on the news there was a lady saying, why did God do this? You know, why did God let this happen? Well, <laughs> God wasn't stopping it, but their response was different. They're blaming God, not, you know, not looking to God. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Worship is more than a song. It's how we seek our God and join our heart to his as we journey through life. If we draw close to him in worship, he's able to download to us the answers we need in our lives and then we too can say, it is well with my soul. So seek to worship him today. If you haven't given your heart to Jesus and you would like to because look, this is a, a peace that you could have, then I invite you to give your heart to Jesus today. If there's anybody here who's not a Christian and you would like to give your heart to Jesus today, speak to myself or Pastor Robin or our elders and uh, they'll be happy to talk to you. For those who are watching online, if you are interested and want to give your heart to Jesus, then feel free to contact their church. And I think you can email us at info at um, Bridge City Church. Uh, was that dot, dot com dot au? Yep. So give your heart to Jesus today because he is the same yesterday, today and forever and can give you that peace as you worship him and come draw close to him. I'm going to ask the singers, we're just going to close with that song that uh, Horatio Spafford wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. And um, as uh, we've sung that, after we've sung that, if anybody would like prayer, Please come and uh, and see me, or Pastor Robin. Um, I guess we'll say goodbye to the online people once uh, our singers are finished singing. It is well with our soul. Thank you.
Lord, we just thank you for this time we've spent together this day. Lord, we've come to worship you. And Lord, I thank you that you were here and that you heard the call of our heart, cry of our heart, and uh, the call of our voice. And Lord, we just know that you're with us as we go. Lord, it is well with our soul. And Lord, we thank you that you're an everlasting and a loving God, a faithful God who cares for us, a good God. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing on each of these people here as we close the service, as we go, Lord. I thank you that you're going with us and you're blessing each one now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am.